so I was in Gibney last week, and the Lord just walked us through a little bit about the church that Jesus builds. And, um, and so I'm actually tackling that very same thing again today. And I, I absolutely thought I was going in one particular direction uh, with it. And then God said, today I actually want to take you in a slightly different direction. And um, it's going to be very, very good. So the church that Jesus builds, Matthew 16, 13 to 19 when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them again, but what do you, what about you? What, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you, bind, or whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And what we find here very clearly is that it's going to be Jesus who builds the church. The job of building the church is not on you and me, actually. It absolutely 100% isn't. Jesus never once says, now go out and build a church. He doesn't say, go out and plant a church. He doesn't say, hey, like, win as many souls to me as you possibly can, build a massive structure, get them all into that building, sing a bunch of songs, and pray. Like, he just never once says that. He actually says that he will build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I think that's very, very significant because that's exactly what we need to remember is that it's Christ who builds the church. And upon that, we can stand firm, right? It's not you, it's not me. Now, we have actual responsibility in it, though, right? Because he chooses to use you and me. The thing is, though, we have to recognize what he calls us to partner together with him. He, doesn't, he hasn't asked us to partner together with him in seeking and saving the lost. He actually hasn't. He hasn't asked us to partner together with him in building his church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's not what he's asked us to partner together with him in. What we are, what we are called to, though, will absolutely be in partnership with Christ in the building of that church. And there's some reasons why he doesn't even he doesn't really ask us to do these things, uh, like the building. And I'm going to jump into Mark chapter four and kind of give a little bit of an illustration here. The parable of the seed or growing of the seed, Mark chapter four, starting at verse 26. He also said, "This is what the kingdom of God is like." I always like when when Jesus starts a conversation or he's in a conversation. He's like, "I'm going to make this so clear for you." This, this exact thing is what the kingdom of God is like, right? And uh, maybe you are much wiser than I am, but when I read this, I'm like, I need, I need a little bit of explanation. And so he says this, A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or get, gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now, 
Is that clear to anybody? This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is like this. The guy goes out, tosses some seed on the ground. Whether he's going to bed or walking around during the day, it's going to grow. And so I tried to explore that a little bit with the Lord, especially over this last week, because Jen was like, you know what? You know that little piece you shared from Mark chapter 4? I didn't get it. I didn't know what it had to do anything. I didn't know what it had to do with. And it has to do a lot with this, that when, when Jesus is building his church, when Jesus is doing his work, you and I really have absolutely no clue what's truly transpiring. So you have Petra here. She's sitting on an airplane beside a Hindu priest, right? A Hindu minister. We have absolutely no idea what God is doing within the heart of that man. But he tells Petra, hey, just settle down. Just listen. And she gets to hear this man's heart and his journey into ministry and, and the heart that he has for other people and the heart that he has to see things, you know, change. And then that opens the door for Petra to share what Jesus means to her. And, and Jesus creates a common ground. And, and so sometimes you and I, I think, can get kind of stuck in that we think, wow, this guy's a Hindu. Like, he is worshiping all kinds of demons and, and we need to tell him straight up, dude, you are full on following demonic doctrine. And sometimes that is exactly what we're supposed to do. But sometimes that is not what we're supposed to do. Sometimes we're supposed to hear the person's heart. Because again, we don't know what God is doing inside that ground. Right? And, but, but we need to be prepared because when the time comes to harvest, the growth that God did, so Petra may very well be included in the harvest of that man from that airplane. Just because she followed God's heart, God's word, God's understanding, God's voice in her life to listen, to share, and be quiet, and just hear the person, right? And now God is leading her, and, and perhaps they're going to meet up, and perhaps, the, you know, maybe that gentleman's going to be ready to actually surrender his life to Christ and to have that change him forever. You know, we don't know. And so therefore, we want to, be, we want to build things upon that which God is doing, what Jesus is doing, and listening to his voice. So like this farmer, we do not know how the seed of promise develops inside of a person. We know that Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of its sin, found John 16, 8 to 13. It tells us this and more. In fact, in verse 13, 13 explicitly says to us that Holy Spirit will uh, tell us things that have yet to come. We can deal with that, well, like later, we can possibly deal with that words of knowledge or whatever, and, and the Holy Spirit is the one who is leading us into all truth. Holy Spirit is leading us. We're not leading Holy Spirit. We're not leading Jesus. Holy Spirit is leading us. And we want to stay grounded in that. We want to follow that. We don't want to... In the past, I've tended to put the, the, the cart before the horse or the cart in front of the horse and, and try to pull the horse along, the horse in this case, being the Spirit of God or being Jesus. And that just doesn't work, right? It doesn't work that way. So you see, our task is not to build a church. Our task actually is to make disciples. So if we jump into Matthew 28, this is the obvious passage of choice for disciple-making or to receive a command about disciples. Discipling, if you will. Matthew 28 is the obvious passage of choice for those teaching on the Great Commission. Go therefore into all the world, making disciples of all nations. And then we find in Romans 10, 14 to 15, the reason why. 
the reason why we're to go out and make disciples. It says this, How then can they, can they call on the one whom they have not believed? How can they believe in the one of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? So as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We go to make disciples because there's a world out there that hasn't heard. They can't possibly make a decision for Jesus Christ if they've never heard of him. They can't make a a decision for Jesus Christ if they've never experienced the love of Christ through another person. And that is why Jesus says, now you go and make disciples. This is a reason why you need to go. And that's important for a person like me. I'm totally driven by why. (laughs) Thanks for agreeing so quickly. (laughs) I am. Give me the why and okay, now we can do this. Right? And so when Jesus says, go and make disciples, in the past I've sort of operated from, well, he's my chief you know, he's my commander. i got to do what he says just because of absolute obedience. But then I came to a place where, where I had a more intimate relationship with the Lord. And I was allowed, well, I felt like I was allowed to ask the questions. And the Lord says, this is the reason. I've got no problems answering your why questions because I made you to ask the question why. And so my answer to you, Ken, in the why is because they won't know. How can they respond? Right? And so from that place, we can sit back and say, Wow, like take a look at the world around us where there are so many people that it's very easy for us to say, well, that person isn't walking with the Lord. That person isn't walking with the Lord. Oh, man, shouldn't they know better? Maybe they don't, right? Maybe they don't. And maybe, and maybe the reason is because the Lord is calling us to come and to just present Jesus Christ in a way, in a, maybe even in a similar way that Petra was doing on the airplane. Here, listen to the life story of a person. What has brought them to the place where they, where they are currently? Are they even looking for other options, right? Looking at, as far as like from a sales perspective goes, they have to recognize they have a problem before they're going to try, try to address a problem. And they're not going to be happy with the person who's pointing out the problem, right? So rather, engage them in conversations so they can point out the problem in themselves. And you are there to love and encourage and share your story about how you came through something where you were led into something, and where Jesus Christ actually met you and changed your life. And it's from that place of sharing life stories that evangelism all of a sudden starts to look like something, and and that is really a first step or a beginning place of discipleship. Now, that being said, discipleship is considerably more than just sharing your story. True discipleship is sharing your entire life, and not just in words. So, we have to understand what Jesus is asking us to do here, and, we, and, 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 and that means that we need to understand what he meant by the word disciple. What did the word disciple mean to him? What did the word disciple mean to the, the very first audience who heard him speak about it? Okay? And so a disciple is, a complete, is completely devoted to a teacher. The relationship goes beyond student or apprentice, and this was something that Jen really pointed out um, last week as we were driving home and, and just talking things through. It's more than just being a student. It is more than just being an apprentice. A student takes notes and writes things down, is ready for the test and studies and whatever. They're trying to learn what the teacher is saying, right? But they're not necessarily learning who the teacher is. They're not, they're not on a journey to emulate or to be exactly like that teacher, that's not the goal of a student. That's not the goal of an apprentice. An apprentice is someone who's come, like, especially in carpentry, 
the apprentice is looking to get a job, and he's trying to, or he or she is trying to increase their wage, or trying to increase their understanding of that trade, and so therefore they're going to come alongside, learn best practices, learn how to do this, how to do that, how to troubleshoot, which you don't necessarily learn how to do in the classroom, but so that they can go and be on their own and be like do their own thing. A disciple is different. A disciple is one who literally actually emulates or tries to mimic the life of their master, their teacher, or in this case, their rabbi. And that's Jesus. In order for us to make disciples, we therefore then have to be a disciple. Because, like I shared last week in Gimli, I have absolutely no desire to have any more little Ken Haslam's walking around. I don't want anybody to come mimic me exactly. I just don't. Right? I would rather actually get to a place... See, Paul makes an extremely bold statement um, where he talks about, in 1 Corinthians 1.11, Paul tells the church to imitate him as he imitates Christ. I'm like, that takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of confidence to be able to say, if you mimic me, if you imitate me, you will be imitating Christ. And I can tell you right now, honestly, like I'm just not so far along in this journey. I'm not so pure. I'm not so holy. I'm not walking in the full righteousness of who I am in Christ yet to the point where I can say, if you imitate me exactly, you'll be imitating Christ because that's a fallacy. You just wouldn't be. You'd be imitating, the per- uh, you'd be imitating a person who is endeavoring to become more like Jesus every day. And I don't make it every day. You know, maybe some of you don't, but or do. I don't. But that's the beauty of being in this body and being one with each other is we are encouraged to walk things out together and to challenge each other and to grow and to just learn more about the character of Jesus. So that as we fall more and more in love with him, right? Because that's the thing. When you learn more about Christ, who he actually was, how he lived his life, how he devoted himself to the teachings of Scripture. That he, I mean, it was written about him, and he still devoted himself to it. He devoted himself to living as a Jew. He devoted himself to living as a son, showing us what it looks like to live as a true son, you know, completely free of everything. And when we begin to really walk with him and, and, and understand the character of Jesus, he draws us in. That's the beauty of the love that he walked in. And what's incredible about that is it's actually the Spirit of God on his life and in his life that does the drawing. And that's the very same Spirit that you and I have accepted. The Holy Spirit living in you, living in me. He is the same one who is transforming us into the likeness of Christ in glory. Oh, yeah. So, a disciple. They don't simply master a trade or a subject. They learn to emulate the, the teacher's life. A disciple does not just study the ways, or the, sorry, the teachings of their master, as so many other people have explained. They do as their master does, and they learn the why behind what the master is doing. They learn the acts and the ways of their master. In Psalm 103, we find that God revealed his character or his ways to Moses, and his deeds to Israel. Israel got to see God in action, but Moses, who was dedicated and devoted to an intimate life with God, learned his ways. He actually learned the ways of God. You know, like, how would you like to operate from a, from a place every day where you're, you're operating in the same fashion God would be operating in? Because you know his ways intimately, and in this situation, this is how God operates And I'm blessed now to operate from that same place. 
in order to make disciples, we need to, be, we need to be disciples of Jesus. Otherwise, we just raise people just like us. Yeah. All of this tells me that we need to be intimately aware of who Jesus is. Not just his acts, but his ways. How did he live his private life? Who was, who was he out of the sight of the crowds? One of the stories about Jesus' life, that truly, there's many, but one of them that really inspires me is there's this little group, this little band of believers, his disciples, his friends, and him, all sleeping in a house, right? Now, Jesus, who we know, always saw what the Father was doing and did likewise. He always heard what the Father was saying, did likewise. We know that the Father always heard his voice. Jesus actually said, you know, like, I'm doing this so that they actually know that this is happening, but I know that, thank you for always hearing me. Jesus, who is God, gets up in the early, early hours of the morning, still dark outside, puts a shawl on or his cloak or whatever, steps outside and goes to find a solitary place to be with the Lord, to pray. And I'm like, that is fairly outstanding, actually. The Lord himself gets up, goes to spend alone time with his father. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful because, you know what? Like, raise your hand if you've ever found yourself to be really, really busy. Okay? That's the truth, right? Like, sometimes we are, like, super, super busy. And have you ever been so busy? So I'm going to ask you to be transparent. Like, have you ever been so busy that sometimes you feel like, man, I just don't have time to be with God today? <laughs> Okay, thank you. Most of us, right? In fact, probably all of us, you know, if we were really going to get into it. Well, here's a man who's feeding thousands, who's healing thousands, who's casting out demons, who's walking basically everywhere, right? We're not like, he traveled, he walked. He walked on water. He walked on rocks. He walked on mountains and hills and grass sides. And he went into people's homes, nonstop pouring himself out. Nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. And every once in a while, he would actually say, hey, man, guys, you know what? Like, can you just take care of this? I need to go be by myself. And the crowd would still follow him. There was basically nowhere he could go where there wasn't going to be a crowd. And so he was so devoted to his father and recognized that the intimacy with the father was so very much important that he decided, well, I guess I'll do this when everybody else is asleep because that's really the only time I'm going to be able to get this done. And there was never a complaint from the Lord because he poured his life out for us. While he was here and after, he poured himself out. It's just who he is, and that's an absolute perfect expression of a loving God, a loving Christ who we are endeavoring to emulate where everybody else matters more. That was him. That was his heart. Everybody else mattered more. And so he poured his heart out. He poured his life out. It's beautiful. And then he did not make any excuses. That's, that's actually the part that makes me super giddy and happy. No excuse. I need to spend time with God. I need to spend time with the Father. Yeah, I recognize I'm God. And I need to spend time with myself. <laughs> the, one, the oneness with God. And he shows us through his very living example that even he chose to endeavor to walk in absolute intimacy with the Father so that 
this humanity, that, like this human life that he was living, fully flesh, right? Tempted by every single thing that you and I are tempted by. He's empowered by God through, through those intimate times with, with the Father, making that top priority so that he will not succumb to temptation, so that he could rather pour out himself in love, never operating out of a place of anger, hurt, bitterness, but always, always love. Because God will always give you a fresh perspective of the people around you. Right? Because he doesn't see the way that we see. He sees the intent of the heart. You know, we might think that we're seeing the intent of the heart because we're seeing certain things surface, but we truly don't know what's really deep in the heart of man. Right? Because really what's there, you guys, is God. Every single one of us is carrying the seed of God within us, whether it's recognized or not, because we're made in his image. And that's the beauty of it. He sees us made in his image. He sees us perfected. He sees us glorified, because that's what he did, right? And so we need that perspective. And Jesus knew it. Jesus was surrounded by humanity all the time. Of course he could see all the failings. I remember things that he would say, he'd say things like this, like, how much longer must I put up with you? That doesn't sound super loving. It sounds a little bit kind of like a jab. You know, like, come on, guys, why aren't you getting this? I, I don't necessarily hold on to that perspective right now or, or like these days. I do believe, of course, that he asked the question, like, how much longer must I put up with you? As in, like, come on, guys, like, we can do this together. Like, I'm going to, like... Oh, like together, together, together. Everything I am doing, you can also do. You know, he would have been teaching them that, them that the whole time. You know, this whole vying for power and who's going to get to sit at the right hand of Jesus and all this, all these commotions and mothers getting involved. And, you know, like whenever you're, you're too sort of scared to address it, get, your, get mom to go and say, hey, mom, can you go deal with this? Because they're not treating me very good and I just want to make sure everything's on the up and up. You know, like, and moms are really quick to get in there. You know, to say, hey, like, what's it going to take, really, for my sons to sit on either side of you? You know? People could, people could actually approach Jesus and ask him these kinds of questions. That's going to tell you something. He's approachable, regardless of the question. No, we want to be like that. We want to be those kinds of people that are fully approachable all of the time, regardless of situation, regardless of question, and that people know that they're actually going to get a loving response back from us. That's who we want to be, Right? That is actually who we want to be. And in order to be those kinds of people, that means that we need, to, like, we need to intentionally focus on the very same things that Jesus focused on, which is spending time with his Father, growing in that. And so if we do what Jesus did, then we can expect the fruit that Jesus had. If we live as he lived, we can expect the very same results. Right? It's, it's pretty well common sense. And so people say that there, isn't, there really isn't a, um, a how-to in, in the Bible, How to Live a Godly Life by Jesus Christ. It's a new book. just came out. It's called the Bible. That was sarcasm that I'm trying to erase. But either way, there's a, there is the how-to. Jesus showed us in his actual day-to-day -day living the how-to. How to live as Christ. How to live godly. How to live pure. How to live full of love. Absolute forgiveness all of the time. It looks like something. It, he lived it out. I want to get back to my notes. You and I need the influence of our Heavenly Father just as much or even more so than Jesus. As we become more aware of our Father, or who our Father is, we will gain insight into our true identity. I've shared that before. 
Did you know that right from the beginning, God has given his children all kinds of gifts that accompany, um, or that, that also accompanied authority and power right from day one? This guy named Adam, right? Some of us are aware of who he is, the first man, was given dominion over everything. And then he was asked, he was tasked to care for the garden that God planted. And God planted a garden, and then he took the man and he planted the man in the garden. And he asked the man, Adam, to tend the garden. He was given tremendous responsibility, and then he was asked to even partner with God, from my perspective, in the naming of all of the animals, calling their essence into being and just like co-creating, co co-expanding, co-everything, because God wants to do things with us. God doesn't want to do it by himself. He just doesn't. Like, could he snap his fingers and have everybody saved in a moment and, and have absolute loving minions? Of course he could, but that's not what he desires. He doesn't desire minions. He desires relationship. A relationship is one that it's give and take, and we share back and forth. That's what he desires. He's always desired that. And he desires to be excited with us and to have us be excited about the things he's excited about. You know, how amazing would it be to just, to just spend some time with God and say, Father, can we do something you want to do? Because God is a creator. He is the creator. So are there any creatives in the room? Okay, so these are people who have creative ideas, who, just, who can write a story, write a song, play music, build something, um, uh, see structures, like pretty well, you guys. Every single one of us, in some form or fashion, has a creative gene. It would be impossible for any of us to not have a creative gene because we were made in his image. He is the creator. Okay? So there are things in which, you know, he has implanted in you so that you will do something and just make something absolutely wonderful and beautiful. But anyways, can you imagine God's sheer joy and delight to just make a totally new galaxy with you? Any space travelers here? Like, like as in, okay, obviously, I don't think anybody is an astronaut. Right? But can you just imagine with me how cool it would be to be sitting with him and he's like, oh man, let me show you what we can do. You know, and, and there's bang, new stars and new clusters and new you know, gas clouds and all these amazing things full of color and life and vibrance. And God's like, as amazing as this is, you're even more amazing. You know, it almost takes doing that kind of imagery with God and just imagining the beauty that could be created for him to finally get into us and say, I made you even greater than this. Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing. I just think he's wonderful and you're wonderful and we're all wonderful and all of these awesome things. And so there's things anyways that, that man's always been able to do with, with Jesus. So Peter walking on the water. Anybody ever tried to walk on water? Be honest. All right. There are some of us who are just willing to do those kinds of things. And uh, has it worked for anybody? All right, ice? Yeah, exactly. I hear you. There you go. I think it would almost be easier to walk on water than to skate on those tiny thin blades on the ice. Ugh. Anyway, we have this God who wants to partner together with us. And then we see, okay, that's great. Awesome. So we're supposed to make disciples. What is, what's that supposed to look like? Well, it looks a lot like this. In Jesus' life, Jesus came to, to serve, not to be served. And so many times, I and maybe some of you 
endeavor to be served. You know, we think, oh, you know what? I, I, think it's, I think it's appropriate. I've reached a place in my life now that I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. I can leave it to others, and, and I can be served in this way. Now, I'm not saying it's a negative thing to be served, but to have the heart or a mindset that I need to be served because I deserve to be served, okay, that is not the same kind of an attitude that Jesus had. Jesus had the exact opposite attitude. Jesus' attitude was, I'm going to serve you because I love you. And I'm actually the only one who's worthy of praise. And rather than that, I'm going to bow down. And I'm, I love this picture of Jesus getting down. And he's got a wash basin. And he washes the feet of his disciples. And I thought this morning, I really did think that we were going to do a foot washing ceremony. And then the Lord like, helped me to recognize too many of us feel like Peter. Where it's like, no, it's almost a little bit too embarrassing to receive that kind of service from somebody else. But that is how it's meant to be. That is Jesus serving, and he shares his heart and his life with people. And so, you could, I, I was going to read that whole passage, but you can jump into it for yourself. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And so many of us would consider each other friends, right? And, and that's shown, actually, as we lay down our lives for one another. When, we put, when, when I put your interests ahead of my own, and vice versa. That is what God is looking for. That is Jesus building the church. See, because the church is going to be known by its love for one another. We'll be known for our love for one another. Not for, not for love for outside, but love right here. Serving one another. Imagine what that looks like when we can actually just get down and wash each other's feet and, and humbly receive, receive that kind of ministry from one another. Because that takes something, you guys, right? Like, how many of you, if I would say, hey, man, like, I really feel like I need to wash your feet, the first thing that would be running through your head is, man, my feet are not in great condition right now. This is a bad idea. I mean, that's really just the truth of it, right? Mostly, Jen would be like, no way you're touching my feet. I'm super ticklish, and you'll get a boot to the face. It's got nothing to do with dirty feet or whatever. But there's just something about that that, for the most part, a lot of us are resistant. And, and Jesus comes against that, that it needs to happen. That we really, truly need to love one another and serve one another and lay things down for one another. So Jesus says in, in John 13, 4, uh, 34 to 35, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. Oh, that's interesting. So we'll be known as his disciples when we love one another. Isn't that something? Not because I have a title that says Christian. Not because I wear a cross around my neck. Not because I wear really nice shoes. Or, or barefoot or, or whatever. It isn't about that. It is absolutely not about the outward appearance. But it is about the condition of our heart and how we love each other well. Jesus is growing a church and building a church that loves each other well. Right? I mean, that is just super impressive to me. So, then, like... Because I ask why and I ask how, Jesus, like, how, what does that look like? What does that love look like, really? He says, it's, I'm so thankful that you asked. I actually have a little snippet in the Bible that you can lean on if you ever wonder what my love looks like. 
and the love that I want to see the church walking in, it's actually laid out. And I'm like, that's fantastic. Can you show me? He says, sure. 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you know the passage. If I speak in the tongues of angels, or sorry, if I speak in the tongue of, tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all of the mysteries and all of the knowledge, and if I have faith that can literally move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, and I surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And so then this is what it looks like. Love is patient. I can already say this week, I've not walked in that very well. This is true. Just putting it out there. And I want you to hear this because you can feel right along with me. Okay, so let's just think about our week. Each one of us, think about our week. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It rejoices with the truth. When things are brought to light, it rejoices. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. That's a lot of always. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will cease. They will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. What's it saying here? I used to walk in anger. I used to walk in bitterness. I used to walk in resentment. I used to walk in jealousy. I used to, I used to, I used to. But I put those things away because those are childish ways. And I took on and became a man. And I walked like a man. When I became a man, I put away those childish things. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And we are called to be one within that love. I know I'm going a little bit over time. I'm just going to blitz through this because it's important. I believe that Jesus is literally leading, leading us somewhere here. This, this concept of love and oneness is so critically important to Jesus that he literally prays about it. So we have this thing we call it the Lord's Prayer. And yeah, it's a great prayer because Jesus said, hey, when you pray, pray like this. But that actually isn't his prayer. His prayer looks a little different and it sounds a little bit different. His prayer is for you and me. His prayer is this. In John 17, verses 20 to 23, Jesus prays for, the belief, for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also, so he was talking about his disciples. It wasn't for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. That's amazing. Father, just as you and I, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The love that we have 
for one another is what helps the world to understand that God really did send Jesus. That is a huge call to love. That is a huge call to laying down our differences, to laying down the things that could cause strife between us. It's a massive call. He calls us to go and make disciples of all nations, and it starts with this. It starts with laying down those things, laying down things that are slanderous, and, 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 and even like Eric and Lindsay were sharing with Jen and me about how, um, um, what's the word? Gossip. Gossip isn't what Jen and I thought it was. And so they were just sharing, and it was like, oh yeah, that's totally true, like, you know, and, and I can caution myself against gossip because I have two very super loving friends who remind me of what that really is. And you guys, that's a loving relationship. That is, that is church. That is what God is building. That's what Jesus is building, right? People who edify one another, who, who, who sharpen each other, who call each other to something higher and greater, the purposes of God lived out in their lives. And he says in, in verse 23, I, um, I'm in them, or sorry, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you have sent me, and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Complete unity is the goal of Jesus. As he builds his church, unity is his goal. Love is the goal, right? And he shows us exactly what to do. Church, I believe that God is actually asking us to take a sincere look into our hearts this very morning. Today, have we loved well? Have we loved each other well? Have we loved ourselves well? That's the question. And this isn't a conviction question. This is a, hey man, like God wants to deal with this and work on this. And like where, in what areas of our lives have we not loved well? Really just allow that to kind of sink in for a little bit because God wants to deal with this. Have you slandered another person? Have you harbored bitterness or resentment in your heart? Have you acted out in anger towards another person? Or maybe you've treated or not treated yourself well. Maybe you haven't loved yourself well. Maybe you've been looking in the mirror and calling yourself down and believing all kinds of negativity about yourself. But those are not the things that God has said about you. So you can really only love others to the degree that you love yourself, right? And so even this, have we loved well? Have I loved myself well? Have I called myself to something higher or do I put myself down? This morning we want to ask God to forgive us for not loving well. So you don't, I don't want you to raise your hands. I don't want you to stand up or whatever. But just ask yourself this question. Like, are, are you a person that this week in particular you haven't loved well? And I know that I, I haven't loved well this week. In some areas I have, but in other areas I haven't. And so I know that this message is just as much for me as it is for you. We want to receive the forgiveness of God. In exactly these areas. So right now I'm just going to ask all of us to stand up. And we're just going to ask Holy Spirit to reveal to us in what ways we have not loved well this week. Whether it's yourself or towards your family or friends or workplace, whatever it is. Holy Spirit, would you just convict us of our righteousness right now? Would you show us who we truly are? 
And show us in what areas of our lives right now have we not loved well. And Father, I thank you. I thank you so much that you want to just take care of this. That you've already forgiven us. So if, if Holy Spirit has revealed anything to you, what we want to do is we want to release that to God. And we just want to ask God to forgive us for whatever it is that Holy Spirit revealed to you. And so we can just pray. Father God, forgive me. For I know not what I was doing. We want to receive your forgiveness this morning, Father. We want to receive fully the love that you have for us. The love that needs to grow inside of us for ourselves. That we love ourselves well. That we treat ourselves with respect and with honor and with dignity. And then from that place, Lord, we want to love others well. That we love them fully and that we forgive quickly. And that we encourage and we believe the best. And we don't hold a record of wrongs. One of the great things about this journey with you, Father, is that we can rejoice. We can rejoice in this. We can rejoice in you. We can rejoice that we have a loving Father who sent his Son to take our place. So that that price would be paid. And all we need is repent, Father. And so we just repent right now. We just thank you for your loving kindness that surrounds us and, and engulfs us and lifts us up that we no longer are sinners, but that we are saints because of the blood of Christ. Our beautiful and loving God brings full restoration to our brokenness, and we can rejoice in his love. We can rejoice in his love for us by loving each other and ourselves well. 